In this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with founder and CEO Tina Brown. Key points addressed were Tina's convention called My Sister's Keeper Expo, which was launched in 2015. It was providing a yearly expo filled with financial wealth, empowerment, and health wellness resources for women. We also discussed Tina's nonprofit, Starbound Inc., which is an endeavor that reflects her passion for helping teenagers at risk. Stay tuned for my fascinating talk with Tina Brown. Hi, my name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I'm your host, Patricia, and today I'm excited to be sitting down with Tina Brown. She's the founder and CEO of a couple of different companies. You can find out more about her companies and her nonprofit on www.mysisterskeeperexpo.com. Welcome, Tina. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I can't wait to kind of climb through. You have a production company um, and you have this uh, nonprofit Starbound, and then you have My Sister's Keeper Expo, and they all kind of have this beautiful narrative between the uh, three of them. And I want to dive into each of those, but before we get to that, I want to tell everyone listening, I have a bio that I'll be reading on Tina to give everyone this kind of platform of um, her professional history. And But before we get to that, a roadmap of today's podcast will follow the same trajectory as all of those in this podcast series. Namely, we'll start by looking at Tina's academic background, early professional life, and personal narrative that kind of draws us to where she is now. And then we'll start uh, look towards unpacking her nonprofit, Starbound Inc., her production company, Tina Brown Productions, and um, her My Sister's Keeper Expo. Uh, we'll get into some of the logistics of who, what, when, where, why, how with um, funding, founders, co-founders, all of those things, growth that all of those endeavors have received um, since they've been launched. And then we'll turn our efforts towards looking at goals that she has for the next one to three years for herself and her um, business endeavors. And then we'll wrap everything up with advice that Tina may have for those of you who are looking to get involved or contact her or emulate some of what she has done. A quick bio on Tina before I start peppering her with questions. Tina Brown was born in San Francisco, California. Three days after her birth, she was abandoned by her biological mother and left on the doorstep of, of couple Mr. and Mrs. Walker, who raised her as their own. Later, a runaway and teenage mother, Tina, still continued her education, taking up criminal justice at San Francisco City College. She has been employed with the city and county of San Francisco for 25 years. Tina's nonprofit organization, Starbound Inc., is a true reflection of the passion she has for helping teenagers, and her love of music made her dream come, tr come true 
when she founded her own production company, Tina Brown Productions, where she serves as CEO. After receiving a vision from God, Tina began to provide financial wealth, empowerment, and health wellness resources for women through My Sister's Keeper Expo, created in 2015. Tina hosted her third annual expo in October of 2018 and offered women the resources and support needed for their success. In spite of her busy schedule, Tina always places her Christian life first. She is an active member of her church as a servant leader for the women's ministry. Tina's life has been a display of strength and courage mixed with compassion and love. Tina has always dreamed of being able to help teenagers reach their dreams. So Tina, I think it's such a powerful um, bio that you have. It's, it's, it's such a mixture of the endeavors that you're currently involved in and your pursuit and ethos that you run your life by. But before we get to all of that, I'm hoping that you can draw, uh, enumerate a little bit further on what I spoke about in reading your bio. If you can tell everyone listening about your academic background and early professional life that brought you to launching your first business endeavor. Okay. Um, I, I I would start off by saying that um, I was a young girl, um, 10, 10 and a half, turning 11. Um, I ended up being homeless in the streets. Um, I didn't have many, I didn't have, I didn't go to school at that time. During that time period, it was like a two and a half year time period. Um, became a teenage mom, uh, had my children. And at that time I started to pursue going back to school. I went to teen pregnancy school and then I finished high school and then I attended city college. And that's where, um, I got my criminal justice information, my classes. I didn't, I didn't graduate from there, um, because it became the fact that I had to work and take care of my, my children at that time. So I wasn't able to finish that. And of course, life goes on. They say it's never too late. So um, as life has calmed down a little bit, when it calms down, that's something that I will entertain pursuing to go back. Absolutely. It never is. And for me, um, the older I get, the more you know, I get out of my educational training returning. I kind of feel like we do it backwards right. in this country. I've had a lot of professors um, speak to this as well, but saying, you know, you should work when you're young and go to school when you're older and can handle it right. and all of those thoughts. Um, I'm wondering about, so which, you've had three endeavors that I want to unpack here today. I'm sure you've had um, a gazillion more than that, but uh, Starbound Inc., I want to know, um, did your nonprofit come first? Did the production company or my Sister's Keeper Expo? Um, the nonprofit was first, actually. Okay. And it, when, when I listened to you read the bio, I'm like, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's three different companies, but each one represented a piece of me where I was at at that particular time yeah. and how I developed that particular company. So what was the impetus for starting it? I mean, it's, it's obvious that it was connected to your own pursuit and your own life um, as, as a young teenager undergoing more than the average stressors. Um, did you have a directional goal when you launched that nonprofit as to how you were going to implement it and which communities or groups you were going to address? Actually, no, it, it was actually suggested to me. I, I've always wanted to help young girls because I was that young girl that didn't, didn't have anyone to feed into me or, you know, to talk to. So with that, I always worked with young girls and I was talking to, um, her name is Jamila actually one day. And she was like, you should start a nonprofit. I'm like, 
what's a nonprofit? <laughs> yeah. And she began to explain. And, and so she offered to help me do that. And that's how Starbound Inc. was um, incorporated. And even though it was incorporated, I still didn't have the, the knowledge or didn't use it to its full capacity at that time because it was started in 2012. I just continued to help the girls on my own funding because I knew how important it was. Um, and with that, Starbound starts to, you know, take effect and get donations for, you know, like trips, going to a game or to yeah. do that type of thing. Um, it's a major undertaking. Did you go through any type of an accelerator or how did you garner all of the knowledge? Nonprofits are such a different beast, right? They're like their own form of business. They have their own set of mm -hmm. laws and rules. Did you have an advisor or a mentor that advised you or just kind of figured it out as you went? No, I figured it along the way. Uh, she, Jamila set up the whole nonprofit itself. When I received my paperwork, I was already a nonprofit. So it was just at that time where I had to, you know, get a DUNS number and get an EIN number, those type of things. Yeah. Um, but I learned as I go. Everything, I must say that everything in my life, unfortunately, was like self-taught. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. I mean, it's and the, the information and the utility of knowledge when self-taught is usually um, much deep, much more deep. It runs deeper. It, you know, it has a different effect on the person right. and the way that they run the business. Yes. Um, in my humble opinion, <laughs> I'm wondering, um, so have, has there been kind of a growth with it since you launched in 2012 and it's a nonprofit, which has some flexibility? Has it changed and manifested over the years? Have there been some quieter years and some heavier years? And also, do you ally with other nonprofits who have similar goals and motives? Um, actually, I did not. Um, I didn't network at that time. I'm just starting to really take advantage of the nonprofit and collaborate with different nonprofits as I've gotten older and, and seen how it really works and how um, more, it could thrive more with the collaborations, um, like Larkin Street Youth that's in San Francisco where, you know, they have their team, they have their youth programs yeah. and it focuses on housing, but it also focuses on speakers coming in and those type of things. So I've been able to collaborate a little bit with them. And then we have Huckleberry House, which is a house for runaways, which was right down the street for our, where I reside at, where I grew up at. Um, and so I'm able to talk to young kids from there as well. That's awesome. So when did um, the production company, Tina Brown Productions, come along? Um, that came along in the, in actually in 20, 2014, because uh, as I was homeless out there in the streets, I've always had music. So I have a great love for music. So I would listen to particular artists and things like that. And, and I wanted to see how I can make that happen and bring it to the Bay Area. Um, so I started off with my church, like doing a, a church prayer breakfast, and I would bring in certain artists to come in and perform. And then it became like that was just like secondhand. I just knew how to do that. Again, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, I was blessed to have that that skill set. I worked at the ABFF as a volunteer. So I've had different people that were able to pour into me to where I was like, I think I want to have my own production company. I think I want to, you know, do that. I wanted to do film, but it's just, I still haven't graduated to that as yet, to tell my story and to tell other stories that um, people encounter in their lifespan. Absolutely. So the storytelling, the production company, does it have like a... 
a specialty or an area population, a group that it, it centers more towards, or is it is it kind of anything that lands in your lap or any projects that you find interesting? It's really R&B music and Christian music. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like that from the basis of, of launching within the church. Um, I'm wondering when did it, when do you feel like that production company launched? If you don't have a specific date, do you have a year that you kind of felt like it was founded and um, how long before was it before my sister's keeper expo came along? Uh, that launched in 2014. Right. Uh, it was the summer. It was the summer because my first show was in November, November uh, 4th in 2014. So, yeah. Okay. And then my sister's um, Keeper Expo. When did the idea for this come along and what was the, um, the impetus or the story behind developing it? In 2014, once I launched the Tina Brown Productions, I found out, I started to really get to know myself because in life, you're just dealing with punches that come along, along the way. Um, so that's when I started to realize that I was really a broken person mm. and, and um, my self-esteem was really shot to an extent. So um, because it got to a point with the shows, I wanted to do more, but then I would hear that little voice that said you couldn't do it. Mm. Um, you know, all my past failures came to creep up behind me. So with, um, I realized when I realized that I was broken, I started to go out and get help. I started to go to workshops and listen to different people speak. And I um, went to Dallas for T.D. Jakes. He has a Woman That Are Not Loose uh, event, Megafest every year. And that's where um, I went there and I had a vision that night um, from God, it was a room full of women and da, 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 da. And I was like, well, I do that with my prayer breakfast. So I really, sh you know, shoot it off. However, um, later on, I went to a symposium and the girl there, her name is Tanisha Warner. She talked about how dreams impact us, how they're from, you know, God has things that he wants us to do. And um, afterwards, I connected with her and, and she, I just shared a little pieces of me and how I was fearful and how I didn't feel good enough. I felt less than. And um, we talked a lot. And then there formed my sister's keeper because I had a conversation with a young girl and she was pregnant and she didn't think she was going to make it. She didn't mm. think that life, there was no life ahead of her. She just thought it was over. And I began to share my story with her and she ended up saying, I wish I had a sister. And when she said that, that resonated so well with me because I did. So there was my sister's keeper. And it's really to build women up where I'm at. Like I would, you know, in, in the forties, you think you're supposed to have it all together, but some people life showed up for them and they didn't have it all together. So it was to help get our finances. Cause I didn't care about money. It was just, I was doing money, giving, you know, doing my girls programs, feeding my production company. I really didn't, didn't have the solid knowledge of how I'm supposed to save or what stocks a lot. So what are stocks about? Things like that. So with my sister's keeper, I brought that message to the Bay area for them to, to hear the different speakers speak about things that was relatable to us and how it affects our community. 
That's exciting. And I think it's, it's so crucial. If people think that everyone's connected to all pieces of knowledge, you know, with the advent of social media and there is particularly, you know, in um, the industries and the people that I work with, which are women, female identified non-binary individuals, there are huge pockets still completely um, mystifying. You mentioned the stock market and things like that. I have very seasoned sage colleagues, you know, who are female or female identified that are still terrified of those systems, don't understand them and, and claim that they don't want to get involved with them, you know? And so I think that breaking open those systems that have been largely dominated by, you know, a different gender or group is, is really important. I'm wondering, can you kind of unpack or at least give us like a bird's eye view of what an expo event would have been like? Did it change from, you know, the first one to the last one that you had and was the last one in 2018 or 2019? Well, actually it was in 2018. Um, I didn't do one last year. I was working on the one for May, 2020, but then Corona, yeah. COVID, I say Corona, COVID-19 hit. Absolutely. So um, what was the bird's eye view for the last one in 2018? Was it multi-day? Was it one day? Were there breakout day. sessions? Yes, one day breakout sessions, different speakers coming in talking about different topics. Lunch was provided. Um, we had, uh, we honored, at that, that year we had honored Renelle. She's a local uh, DJ um, in the Bay Area. We, we honored her. Uh, we honor Carolyn Tyler and Wanda Durant was our keynote speaker for that year. Nice. Yeah. So um, had this, has the structure changed since you created it in 2015? I mean, you had this three-year stint, but I hear frequently from people who host festivals or founders of events and things of this nature, you kind of massage it to the, you know, to the industry and to the needs of the attendees and things like that. What mm -hmm. changes existed over the three years that it was going up? Um, it, it actually, the interest really grew. It grew um, probably because of the, the, not the topics that were discussed. Um, my first one, you know, was like all day and I had MC Light, that keynote speaker, and I massaged it to, because I always wanted more. So I'm always reaching a high bar. Um, reaching yeah. really high. So I always wanted to be better than the last year. And I focus on whatever topic we're going, whatever's going on in this particular season, those are the speakers that I want to come speak and share with us to give us that knowledge and that insight yeah. um, to make us feel better. It's the hard part, you know, you didn't ask, <laughs> was it's getting sponsors and stuff on board. Cause there again, I spent all my money on, on into the program itself, but eventually that'll come. Do you think that moving forward, you'll move some of it into a virtual space? Or do you think that you're far enough out from the next one, there'll be a vaccine, people will return to yes. non-social distancing. Also, do you think that the format could be conveyed as powerfully if it wasn't in person? I've spoken to a lot of people that say, even if I can employ this Zoom aspect, the point of it was being in this group of people. Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree. That's why I haven't done it. I, I had the option to do it virtual for this year, but I declined because it's the, the atmosphere, the, the feelings, it's not as real. I mean, it's, it's not as authentic as, as being there in person. Yeah. Absolutely. So will you um, postpone the lineup that you were getting ready for in 2020 or will you completely revamp the entire thing for 2021? I'm going to revamp it for 2021 because I think this year is um, pretty much <laughs> um, halfway gone and, yeah. and I want 
want to focus on getting, you know, a fresh start. So Angela Davis was our keynote speaker this year. Hopefully she'll still be able to be on board for next year, but it'll be May 1st, 2021. That's the date scheduled. May 1st, 2021. Yes. Excellent. And I'm sure you'll update it on my sister's keeper expo.com for yes. everyone listening. Confirmation um, from the vendor, but that's that that date is available at that space. But as soon as I get the green light, then that's the tentative date. Okay. And do you have other social handles that people can kind of follow some of this across with you? I have my sister's keeper expo on Instagram, my sister's keeper on Facebook and LinkedIn. My sister's cool. keeper. Yes. Yeah. So everyone can kind of connect on their favorite and then follow it. Um, yeah, it sounds like a dynamite, um, at least keynote. So as everyone who's in the area should look into attending. I'm wondering, I've spoken with a lot of founders um, over the past couple of months uh, with the COVID-19 epidemic, pandemic, and um, it's, it's given people, in addition to the sorrow and the sadness, a lot of people have taken the time to reflect and, um, and even reassess business, personal, re- um, conversationalize their life with itself, with the outside world. And I'm wondering if you have done that with some of your endeavors and any changes that have come up for you over the past couple of months or any goals that have surfaced as a result of this kind of forced meditation that people have been having. Uh, actually, I haven't had much time to sit because I'm a central worker. So therefore, oh. I'm out there front line. Um, I work for the city and county homeless department. So um, I've been out there every day. Um, yeah, with- that's so you are a unicorn in the people I've been speaking to. And I first want to just say thank you for your service and for being um, you know, brave and, um, and helping us all out. Um, being an essential worker has its own incredible bag of you know, baggage. Yes. <laughs> I can't even imagine. So I do kind of want to dive into that because you're the first person that I've spoken to that is front lines um, thus far since the pandemic hit. Um, has the How has the rhetoric within your department been regarding um, the safety and the way that the city of San Francisco is handling it? Um, I think we're, I think the city of San Francisco is handling it very well. I'm really, really supportive of our, of our mayor, uh, Mayor Breed. Um, our department actually is focused on homelessness so of course it has like tripled um as far as because our main goal is to get the people off the street and into hotels so we're setting that up and that takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of patience but in, in the end we'll get through it we probably won't hit everyone and that's the reality part of it but we'll hit majority has there been any talk about post? Um, and I live in San Diego, and likewise, we have these efforts to um, help individuals who are in homelessness um, reconvene right now to our um, International Conference Center and a couple of um, other places that they've loosened up. But there have been a lot of um, grassroots movements to give these individuals an opportunity not to return to the streets or um, start implementing mental health systems now that, you know, We've done this move. There's been a lot of talk about not having a return to prior moments. Right. Has there been any of that in the city of San Francisco? Yes, yes, there is. There's talks about it um, as far as, because it would be ridiculous to house all these people. And then once the COVID is over, we release them back to the street. That would mm-hmm. be all the work done basically in vain. So they are working on programs to keep them housed. Um, 
it's just a matter of budgeting and all the federal and all these other Congress Senate's votes and yeah. things that's beyond my control, but it yeah. is, there, there are plans in place. Interesting. So you haven't had time to sit and reflect as I very naively asked. I'm wondering as you've gone in day in and day out um, with the kind of the scarcity of people on the streets and things like that, have you ruminated to yourself? Have there been thoughts that came over you about um, anything that's uplifting, things that you've noticed, you know, during this, this incredible time of hardship for people, particularly people who are homeless, the idea of sheltering in place when you don't have a shelter is abusive mm -hmm. and mean, you know, and um, having those thoughts you must have had early on. I'm wondering if you can share any nuggets of um, hopefulness or even lessons that you kind of washed over you or that you had with yourself. Uh, well, for me being homeless, I mean, I consider the homeless community my community. I could, I take that real personal because I've walked those streets that they've walked. I've lived on some of those streets that they sleep on. I, so I, I get that part of it. Um, and, and quiet as it kept, we have our own community. So the hopefulness comes out of, you know, well, we're going to be okay. We're, you, you know, we're going to survive this. Whether you have your, 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 people that are in addictions, your street walkers, still there's a sense of that community sticking together and trying to go whichever way is beneficial to them and how we can stick there. Like I know people that want to stay right here in this area. So I take it back to my office. Well, you know, we got to find hotels. We have to find a spot where these people could just stay right here because this is their comfort zone. We can't yeah people out of their comfort zones. It's, it's, it becomes a, a, that's a whole nother beast. So I see people on the street, yes, but they're still hopeful. They're, they're, they're hopeful that things will get better. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone needs hope, you know, and, and I think to be able to be hopeful is, is crucial. I'm wondering, um, where do you see, uh, like the production company, you said you were heading into film. Do you see any, like, I feel like there's an opportunity for cross-pollination between some of your companies. Have you ever thought about bringing your production company into the expo and utilizing some of that there in your future? Or is it still kind of disparate, separate measures? Um, I've thought about it, but that I would be wearing too many hats at one time. So I have right. to start to reach out. I have to learn to delegate and Pick different people that those are in their field. Um, I right now my mindset is focused. I want to do a best me housing. I want to provide housing for young women. Um, I'm trying to get capital to 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 purchase a building or even lease a building for five years because I want to start that process. Because again, that's the walk that I come from. So at the end of the day, that's that's something that I didn't think I could do. Mm -hmm. But being an essential worker and being put in a position where now I'm a project manager for starting up a hotel and putting people in it, I was like, I could do this and I could help. I could give back. I, I always, always, always want to just give back because um, yeah. I know that I know that journey. So that's on that's on my pipeline now. And as far as Tina Brown Productions, I'm trying to work on getting started my own podcast. I just have to figure mm -hmm. out a day and a time. And yeah. And, and talk about things that go on in the community and how how we're affected by that and what change can take place for us all to be able to thrive, not just live, thrive. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. It's a powerful topic that was never ending um, for a podcast. I would tune in immediately. Um, do you, so would you do if it, this kind of dream that's formulating right now because of all of the access that you have and implementing these structures for um, your 
current work with the city of San, uh, San Francisco, would it be under Starbound? Would you do that under your nonprofit? Definitely. Yes. yes, definitely. And I would actually have to quit my job. So there goes that fear again, because it'd be a yeah. conflict of interest, right? Yeah. Um, there goes the fear again, because I'm like, I can't just do it because I don't have the funding to get a building or to finance a building. So, you know, that kind of makes me kind of nervous. But, you know, people told me to do fundraisers and I, you know, I probably will, but it just takes me a little longer. But that's, that's, that's a goal that I would love to accomplish. I would love to be able to do that. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, if you're interested in getting involved in any of those um, activities, reach out and, um, you know, throw some some lifelines into the water with, with Tina. I think that there's a lot of collaboration that can happen when someone's, you've got a lot of the wisdom and stuff like that, and you need some of the energy, you know, and yes. I think that there are a lot of people out there with energy and resources that you can collaborate on. Um, partnering up, I think, as um, as a 43-year-old woman, I haven't done half the collaborating and partnering that I ought to have done that a lot of my male colleagues have done because uh, I was too busy working twice as hard as them, you know, and, and doing right. different things. And as women coming together as well, there's unity there, right. you know, and so, um, yeah, reach out to Tina. I'm wondering, I want to wrap everything up with, I always ask this in the end, and I don't know if this doesn't resonate with you. I can come up with a different analogy, Tina, but you'll bear with me. I am wondering if someone came up to you tomorrow um, without the COVID concerns, they were actually able to speak with you without um, being concerned within a six foot radius. And it was a woman or a female identified non-binary, pretty much anyone other than a cisgendered male man. And they said, listen, um, I am, you know, I, I've had this, this very interesting past and it's been riddled by um, a lot of struggle, but a lot of lessons and a lot of accumulation of knowledge. And I've been gifted with this faith and all of these things that I have. And I now am, I'm looking to launch like a nonprofit and maybe another company. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual knowing what you know now? My first one would be is to plan. It, I, I just did everything just off a thought process or vision. Just, I think I would say plan. I would say you have to put on, um, let's see your armor because you have to be strong because everything doesn't happen just like that. It doesn't. And focus on finances so mm. that you won't be in the struggle and the business won't take such hard hits. I took so many hits um, to keep it going. So those are finance, strength. You definitely need strength to get through whatever journey you're trying to start. I mean, and faith, you got to believe. If it's something that's on you, you, you got to believe that it, you'll get through it and it will happen. Nice. I like that form of armor being strength that's both internal and external. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, financial knowledge um, to be able to alleviate early stage struggle with any endeavor is another form of armor. That's yeah. a really great visual. Uh, well, Tina, we are out of time, but I just want to thank you so much. I really appreciate um, everything that you're doing, uh, your goals in um, all of your endeavors, my Sister's Keeper Expo, um, your nonprofit Starbound Inc. And um, your production company, they all align really a uh, great deal with what our focus at Patricia Kathleen podcast and my film company do. And I really appreciate the work that you're putting into humanity. We need it. Oh, thank you. And I can't thank you for having me, Miss Patricia. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. 
Absolutely. And for everyone listening, we've been speaking with Ms. Tina Brown. She's the founder and CEO of My Sister's Keeper Expo. Dot com. You can find her online at that website as well as across her social media handles. Um, thank you for giving us your time. And until we speak again next time, remember to always bet on yourself. Sláinte.